Suzanne is just going to read from the word for us. Thank you. Morning, or afternoon. <laughs> um, the reading comes from Luke 11, um, 1 to 13. And it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught the, his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you got him, and you, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and has no food, I have no food to offer him. And suppose the friend, the, and suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, you will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I have always loved the idea of making my own bread. Uh, sadly, now my, my sort of early attempts at doing this were not very successful. In fact, years ago, when I occasionally announced on a, say, a Saturday morning to the family, hey, I'm going to make some bread today, uh, then it would be met rather than sort of with delight and joy at the idea of dad's homemade bread, uh, there would be quiet groans from the family and a rather concerned look on Vicky's face. The truth was that my bread tended to be a bit heavy, somewhat dry and brick-like, perhaps more useful as a doorstop than to be sliced, buttered, and enjoyed with strawberry jam. This was despite taking on board all of Delia Smith's sound advice on how to make good bread. Back in the day, Delia, for me, was like, you know, she was the go-to person in the kitchen for all advice, way above uh, my poor wife. If Delia said it, I'm sorry, but uh, that was it. But sadly, in this area, Delia let me down. After a while, I quietly gave up my bread-making ambitions and focused my baking on less challenging things, such as frozen apple strudels from Tesco, which I found I could bake quite consistently. Just follow the instructions on the box. 
My sense of inadequacy in this area was made worse when Vicky went on a bread-making course for an away day with a group from her work and brought home a really nice loaf of bread that she had made. And weeks later, she again turned out some bread at home, and this was actual bread that we could eat. Amazing. I don't know if she didn't do more bread-making to save the embarrass- my embarrassment, uh, knowing uh, that uh, I had this sort of ambition to make really good bread, and here she was seamlessly, seem- seemingly effortlessly uh, producing lovely bread, but uh, the smell of homemade bread in the oven didn't return to our home until just over a year ago, when I thought I would give the art of bread making another go. With some money gifted to me when I retired, I had bought a stand mixer with a dough hook. Oh yes, surely a stand mixer with a dough hook would be my new secret weapon for brilliant bread making. My first attempt was okay. The flavour was quite good, but it was still quite dense. Not as bad as those attempts years before, though, so I felt some hope of improvement. For a while, my baking efforts switched to cake baking, which included trying to master the art of the perfect lemon drizzle cake. So I was a bit distracted for a while, but then about uh, a year later, I thought, it's time to have another go at bread making. Let's build on my sort of, you know, uh, my muted success of uh, a year ago. So I mixed all the ingredients together with the yeast, kneaded it effortlessly in my mixer, uh, and I put the dough in the airing cupboard to rise. When I went back to inspect the dough a couple of, of, uh, of hours later, expecting to see something, you know, the, the miracle of risen dough, I was disappointed to find a lump of dough that looked very much like the lump of dough I had placed there two hours before. There was no sign of life in it at all. No rising, no lovely air bubbles. Rather than waste energy by baking this lifeless lump in the oven, I threw it straight in the bin and wondered with a tear in my eye if uh, I would ever master this art, even with the benefit of my stand mixer and dough hook. Then... Back in November last year, I got an email advertising a BBC Maestro course on bread making by a French baker called Richard Bertinet. Now, I know you're going to be impressed with my French accent. Maybe not. But uh, the blurb for the course told me that with over 30 years' experience, a batch of awards, and an effortless, approachable style, Richard will soon have you baking with total confidence and spectacular results. How could I resist such a promise? So I bought the course and settled down to watch the first few episodes. The course began with some jolly French accordion music and scenes around the village in Brittany where Monsieur Bertinet lives. I could feel my heart lifting already and hope being rekindled that I could begin to make bread like a pro. Then Richard Bertinet appeared and introduced himself with his beguiling French accent in his lovely rustic kitchen with loaves of freshly baked bread on the dresser behind him. And I could feel a surge of confidence as I imagined the smell of the dough and the freshly baked bread permeating our kitchen. And then he began to explain the art of mastering the dough, showing the dough who's boss. 
Now, this is a good news story, okay? I'm not, I'm not sort of teeing you up for a disaster. This is a good news story. My first attempt went well. Following the instructions in lesson number one, I baked a couple of small loaves, which got the thumbs up from Vicky. And so a week or so later, I went on to lesson number two. This was to make some traditional French baguettes, long cylindrical rolls with pointy ends. This is what we were aiming for. There we go. I followed all the instructions as best I could, and this time I would try baking my bread on a pizza stone, as recommended by Richard. By now we were on first name terms. (laughs) The only problem was that the only pizza stone I had was round. When my baguettes came out of the oven, the taste was good, but presentation suffered just a little. The trouble is you can't really make nice straight baguettes with pointy ends on a round pizza stone. So the result from lesson two came out looking a bit unusual. I'm not sure if these were quite the spectacular results predicted in the blurb for the course, but they tasted very good. Thanks to my new baking buddy, I was now making bread that my family actually wanted to eat. The difference was I could watch this master baker making his dough again and again and copy what he was doing and be encouraged by his confidence built up from his years of experience. In the passage Suzanne read to us earlier, we heard about a group of men who also wanted to learn how to do something. This wasn't about the art of bread making, this was the art of something so much more important. They had seen their teacher do amazing miracles, they had heard his teaching, simple, profound, using the everyday things of life to teach deep spiritual truths. And they had seen him pray, heard him pray, felt the earnestness of his prayers and seen the fruit of his prayers. This man Jesus they were following had a relationship with the Lord God that that was uh, way beyond anything they'd ever seen before. His prayers weren't like anything, weren't anything like so many that they'd heard before, especially the loud, long-winded prayers of some of the religious elite in the temple. Those professional prayers often made their own attempts seem clumsy and foolish. But when Jesus prayed, it was different. It was as if he was really talking to God, like every word he said was heard, was listened to. There was no performance in his praying, but it was deep, moving, intimate, simple, honest. The way Jesus prayed didn't put them off prayer. It didn't make them sort of shrug their shoulders and say, well, we'll never be able to pray like that. But rather it made them want to learn how to pray more, how to pray like him. So as they were with him in prayer one day, one of them asked him, Luke 11 verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the followers of Jesus didn't ask him to, to teach them how to preach or how to do miracles, but they asked him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus' response wasn't, uh, as recorded in Luke, wasn't to sort of produce, you know, 26-lesson course on the theory and practice of prayer, but rather he gave them three short lessons. A prayer, a parable, and a promise. To begin with, he simply leads them into a short prayer to the Father. Because the very best way of learning how to pray is to pray. Just as the best way of learning how to bake bread is to bake bread. Putting Jesus' prayer into my own words, it goes something like this. 
Heavenly Father, your name is holy. Would your kingdom, your rule and reign come in our lives and into the lives of those around us. Give us each day our daily bread. Help us with our everyday needs, our spiritual needs, our physical needs. Forgive us when we don't live up to your ways as we forgive those who don't meet our expectations, those who wrong us and defend us. And help us to avoid temptation, help us to resist the evil one. This is a beautiful, simple model for prayer. It begins by emphasising a new kind of relationship to God for these followers of Jesus that will be brought into reality by the death of Jesus on the cross and the forgiveness of sin. Just as Jesus calls the Lord God his Father, this prayer tells them that God will be their Father too, their Daddy. So this is a prayer that starts in intimacy, but then in the next breath it reminds them that this Father is also awesome in his holiness, his purity, his set-apartness. They come as children of this Heavenly Father onto holy ground in prayer. The prayer then moves to seek this perfect, holy, loving Father's rule and reign in their lives and of those around them. There is so much in this prayer. The encouragement to pray for our everyday needs, as Joe reminded us last week, that we can pray about everything. The centrality of forgiveness as a way of life, our continuing need for his forgiveness and our continuing need to forgive. And it finishes with a prayer against temptation that our Heavenly Father would help us in our weaknesses and vulnerabilities not to fall into the traps laid by our enemy. In these few short sentences, Jesus is giving us a model for prayer. It's as if he's saying, off you go, build on this. Use this as the basis for your own prayer life. Years ago, Nick did a a great series of talks on prayer and uh, produced these really excellent little cards that uh, sort of took uh, the Lord's Prayer as a a template for prayer. Really, really helpful. I've got a few if you'd uh, like one at the end. But Jesus didn't just give them a model for prayer. There were a couple of other really important things that he wanted to share with them. And so we come to the parable. This is one of those stories where Jesus starts by putting us into the story. He sort of invites us into this story, into this scenario. So come and put your sort of imaginations on and join me in my retelling of this story. It's midnight. There's a knock on the door. You have an unexpected visitor. A very good dear friend has arrived. This friend has travelled a long way and late, late into the night. The whole family gets up and welcomes the visitor. There's lots of hugs and greetings and how was your journey and it's great to see you. What a lovely surprise. You're too delighted to see this friend to say what kind of night, do, uh, what kind of, what time of night do you call this? You offer him a cup of tea and some food. It's then that you realise that you've run out of bread yesterday. You meant to do a bit of baking from your new Richard Bertinet baking course, but you hadn't quite got around to it. You can't let your friend go hungry after their long, tiring journey. And then you remember the smell of baking as you went past your neighbour's house earlier that evening. You always get on really well with them. They're sure to be able to help you. So forgetting the lateness of the hour, you pop to their house and start knocking on their door. There's no response, so you knock a bit harder. 
bang, bang, bang. Eventually you hear a very cross voice from inside. Who is banging on my door? Don't you know what the time is? Hi, it's me, Bob. A good friend of mine has just turned up at our house after a long journey. He's really hungry and I don't have any bread to give him. I remember that lovely smell of your amazing bread baking earlier this evening and just wondered if I would borrow a few loaves. Perhaps a bit of flattery will work. Go away, comes the response. The doors are locked and we're all in bed. You'll have to go and find someone else to get your bread from. But you know there is bread in that house. I'm really sorry, but I'm not taking no for an answer, you say. I know you were baking bread this evening and you can't have eaten it all, so I'm not budging until you open this door and give me some. Silence. The sound perhaps of some scuffling around on the other side of the door. What's happening in there? You're about to bang on the door again when it swings open and a bag with three small, freshly cooked loaves is thrust into your face. There's the bread, your neighbour, that you used to get on with quite well, snarls at you. Now leave us alone. Having given us this little scenario, Jesus now turns our attention to the neighbour who had very grudgingly and reluctantly provided the bread for your friend from afar. He didn't give you the bread because you were his friend, but because of your shameless audacity in asking for bread at midnight and not taking no for an answer. His disciples must have wondered, if this is a picture of prayer, then that's very different from the kind of praying we hear in the temple every week. This is an invitation to pray shamelessly and audaciously for real, everyday needs, like bread. As if reinforcing that part of the prayer he just taught them, give us, give us today our daily bread. This is an invitation to pray for what matters. Pray like you mean it and pray about everything. It's about praying with a godly dissatisfaction about the way things are. About praying with conviction, knowing there is bread in that house. That the one you are calling on has the power to make a difference. It's also about being willing to be part of the solution, to be so invested in the issue that you won't just pray, you will act in obedience to him. Jesus isn't saying in this parable that uh, a heavenly father is like a grumpy neighbour who is inconvenienced by demands put upon him. Far, far from it. Instead, he is saying, if this neighbour will give in due to your shameless audacity, then how much more will your loving Heavenly Father meet the sincere, relentless requests of his children? And now to the promise. We find this in verses 9 and 10, and the the best sort of translation for this is found in the Amplified Version of the Bible, which carries the kind of the full meaning of the words that Jesus was using. After the parable of shameless audacity, Jesus goes on to say this, So I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. Then in verse 10, for everyone who keeps on asking persistently receives, and he who keeps on seeking persistently finds, and to him who keeps on knocking persistently the door will be opened. 
This hammers home the point of the parable. It is the persistence of our shameless, audacious praying that is the key. Praying and not giving up. Praying because you know there is bread in that house. Because you are praying to the one who is the bread of life. This is an invitation to a journey of persistent prayer, a life of praying, a life of asking, seeking, knocking. Why? Because there will always be challenges in life that are chronic, long-term, for which there is no quick answer. It's lovely when prayers are answered instantly. That is fantastic. That's a great joy. But there are so many things that we need to invest in prayer uh, and pray uh, consistently and persistently in. Praying for people to find Jesus. Praying for healing. Praying for people struggling in stuck situations. How long should we keep praying for uh, in these situations? We pray until the answer comes or we have peace in the matter. A few years ago, there was a difficult ongoing situation I was praying about. I prayed daily for this situation, but it just seemed to go on and on. And one day I felt I needed to sort of up my game in praying for it. And I committed to praying in tongues for the situation for 15 minutes every day. And this went on for at least nine months until one day I felt a strong impression from the Holy Spirit as if to say, I've got this, Bob. You can stop praying. And it wasn't that the matter was resolved. It still took a few months to do so. But I knew my prayers had been heard and to continue praying in that way would have been wrong. Sometimes we will have peace that is heard and an answer is on the way. At other times we know that we will probably never stop praying for some people or some situations, but we will see breakthroughs along the way. For Vicky and I, our family are a continual reason to pray. In February last year we got a very distraught call from our daughter in Western Supermare, dear Sarah Jane. Their very lively son, Noah, our grandson, had been suddenly expelled from his preschool. They knew that the preschool sometimes found Noah's behaviour difficult, but suddenly things had come to an end ahead and uh, kind of without warning, uh, they they'd, uh, decided that um, enough was enough. So there was no care for Noah during the day. Sarah Jane with little Beatrice, just a few months old, would have to keep Noah at home with her all the time. We prayed for the situation. Not sure how to pray, not sure what to pray, but praying that somehow God would bring something good out of this terrible mess. Over the weeks that followed, Sarah Jane and her husband, Dave, found a local charity that helped with children with support needs. This charity had a long waiting list for children to be offered support there, but after much prayer and many conversations, seeing the situation Sarah Jane and Dave found themselves in, they offered him one day a week of support, which was a great, great blessing. There was concern that he would need to, to uh, delay starting mainstream school for a year, but with the help of that charity and other dear friends, they managed to get Noah an educational health and care plan. And in September, he started at a lovely school, just two minutes walk from their house. He has a support worker with him all the time. He's at the school, and the teacher there, having read his history, Sarah Jane had this lovely um, interview with the, the teacher before Noah started school, and she said, um, look, I've read uh, Noah's history, uh, and I can see what you've been through. 
Uh, and she said, I just want to promise you that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that his experience in my class is going to be the best that it can be. Such a different response, such a different approach to uh, what had happened at preschool. Such a blessing. It's interesting, the song we sang uh, in that verse, Rain come, wind blow, rain came, wind blew, my house was built on you. That was the song that Sarah Jane that sort of carried her through uh, much of the challenge of that season. Uh, my house is built on you. That's what Sarah Jane held on to during that season. God brought good things out of a sudden and seemingly disastrous situation that at the time seemed hopeless. We had prayed, friends here had prayed, other family members had prayed, Sarah Jane and Dave had prayed. We had prayed what seemed to us sometimes to be shameless, audacious prayers persistently and gradually we had seen things change. Our children and grandchildren continue to feature in our prayer lives. How can they not? But we're praying into other situations as well. We're praying for our neighbours to find Jesus. We can't see at this stage how that might happen as so many of them seem closed to the gospel and happy in their lives without him. But reading this passage today, we're encouraged to pray all the more, praying shamelessly, audaciously and persistently for these people for whom Jesus died. How do we know what to pray persistently about? What if I end up wasting my time praying for a situation that isn't God's will? In truth, there may be times when we give our energy to praying persistently and audaciously for situations where the answer we're hoping for and trusting for doesn't seem to come through. We won't always know what's happening in the spiritual realms through our prayers. We can only trust that he takes our prayers and that they are making a difference in the lives and the situations we're praying into. Sometimes our persistent, audacious prayers are prayed with tears. In his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, highly recommend it, by a guy called Tyler Staten, uh, he writes this, Scripture makes it clear that God collects two things, prayers and tears. This world in its current form is passing away, but our prayers and our tears are eternal. God collects our prayers. In Revelation 5 verse 8, we are offered a glimpse of the receiving end of our prayers, The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And he he goes on, do you realise what that means? It means that every prayer you've ever whispered, from the simplest throwaway request to the most heartfelt cry, God has collected it like a grandmother who scrapbooks a toddler's finger paints and scribbles. God has treasured up every prayer we've ever uttered, even the ones we've forgotten, and he's still weaving their fulfilment, bending history in the direction of a great yes to you and me. And he goes on, he collects our tears. Psalm 56 verse 8 reads, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And he quotes Psalm 126, verse 5, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. As we draw to a close today, one final thought. Jesus finishes his teaching with a beautiful promise. Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, says this. 
Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is the greatest, sweetest answer to the deepest need of every life. To know the presence and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is to know life. To have the fullness of the Spirit in our brokenness, our challenges, in the muck and the bullets of this battleground we find ourselves in is joy in the pain, comfort in the setbacks and disappointments and power perfected in our weakness. And this precious helper and comforter helps us in our prayers. When we run out of words, his intercessions for us will be shameless, audacious and persistent on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we so, so thank you for this incredible gift of prayer, Lord. I don't think I've begun to really unpack what an incredible privilege, what a great gift this is to us. Lord, this is the essence of our relationship with you, to be able to talk with you, to be able to share our lives with you, Lord God, to bring our needs and our requests, Lord, and and to sort of share with you, to know what's on your heart as well, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray, would you gift us as a church, would you gift us as individuals, Lord, with what's on your heart, Lord God, that we may pray uh, shameless, audacious, persistent prayers, Lord God, to see your purposes come to fruition in our lives, in this church, in this area, in our neighbourhoods, in our workplaces. Lord Jesus, Lord, we pray for faith, Lord God, for that precious gift of faith to fuel the persistent, audacious, shameless prayers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and help us in our prayers. Thank you that your prayers also for us and with us are shameless, audacious and persistent. Amen. We could just uh, last. I keep looking for the clock, and the clock's gone. So uh, it's in his, it's in Nick's bag, ticking away. Not ticking away. No. Um, we could just to um, you know, if there are things, there are bound to be needs in this room. You know, persistent that need persistent, shameless, audacious prayers. Uh, and good just to spend a few moments just praying for one another, perhaps. Uh, and um, just lifting some of these things up to Jesus and inviting him, inviting him into those situations. That's where he belongs. He belongs at the heart of those challenges and situations that we're praying about. Some of them seem impossible. Some of them have been going on for years and years and years. But, uh, you know, that's where he belongs, in those situations. And uh, we invite him in as we pray. So I just encourage you, uh, just in the final few minutes, just to turn to somebody, uh, find somebody, and just let's just... Uh, Lift some of those things up to the Lord. Um, I think for me the biggest one is salvation. You know, I think, uh, Vicky and I, the, the more um, time we've spent over the last 18 months or so since retirement in our, in our little, where we live, up in Fry and Barnet, the more we kind of see um, the desperate need in our neighbourhood for people to find Jesus. Um, and it's going to be a work only he can do. 
And sometimes that feels like shameless, audacious praying, because <laughs> it seems like, you know, a long way away. But let's pray. Let's pray for these people on our hearts. Some of them have been on our hearts for years. But uh, yeah, let's pray. Amen.